We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. You are listening to Lore Keepers, a world-building podcast where we talk about aeons of history, heroes and villains, and the legends they leave behind. I'm Carter. And I'm Frank. And whether you're interested in stories, looking for inspiration in your own world-building, or perhaps you want a piece of the action, we got something for you. This week, we're talking about some boring old shit. It's like a weird, crazy sword that does cool stuff. <laughs> But Frank, we're not, our listeners aren't here for that. They're here to know how you're doing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, woke up to some very uh, down news this morning um, about Minneapolis and the current state of, of, of what's been going on. At the time of this recording, the police precinct has been burned down with regards to the protests. That is not something that I'm planning on elaborating on here because that's not really what this show is about. However, if you want to know my thoughts and Carter's thoughts about it, uh, jump to the end. Um, we've already spent some time <laughs> talking about it today. Uh, long and short of it, we think it's fucked up. Uh, I am not surprised by the burning down of a police building. Um, that's uh, honestly, I'm definitely more backing the protesters here still than uh than the police significantly so anyways um if you want to know also uh what happened to george floyd is fucking subhuman it is uh it is disgusting and i don't know how yeah it's fucked up uh anyways aside from that though man it's been a kind of crazy week rachel and i have we did a ton of traveling we had to go pick up my car and so yesterday we were spending all day driving back from from minnesota this was actually in Minnesota yesterday, which is which was nuts. But aside from that, I mean, I don't know. I uh, uh, one of my f other friends said that they uh, they downloaded Monster Hunter World, so we've 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 begun our clan. Uh, it is it has started. Um, yeah. Clan with the sea. Yeah, we, we are going to be taking it down some massive. <laughs> in in <laughs> indigenous. <laughs> creatures massive indigenous creatures who uh did not ask to be hunted but um, we We're came to their world them, to find them and hunt them down skin them harvest their bones and their organs turn it into more powerful it. weaponry for which we can kill their kin yeah. monster hunter world has a uh, has uh no politics it is not a political game like you know you know not like call of duty how which also isn't political or assassin's creed which also isn't political yeah, you know none of those games are political cat slavery in the game at all right yeah literally they call you meowster uh, <laughs> yep it's not it's it's just an it's such a cute thing. pun on words meowster oh ho 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 it's just an anime thing frank don't worry about it 
I guess. Anyways, my cat's name is the Prestige. You get you come you get with like an you get an assistant cat who helps you do an assistant. I'm going to use these quotes. I hope we pay them. I think we do. I think we pay them in uh, exposure. <laughs> they're interns. Is that what yeah. you're saying? They're like the equivalent I, of interns. I think. They're interns. <laughs> hey, you're learning valuable skills that every hunt monster hunter needs to know. If you want to be good at this job, you will thank me for giving you the opportunity to risk your life killing these monsters. I'm making you armor so you could risk yeah. your life. <laughs> and all you collected for me was these bug legs. No, it's um anyways, yeah, my my cat's name is The Prestige, which is mine yeah. is Robin, as befitting a sidekick. Uh-huh, right. Which is also a very good name for a cat too. Yeah, I feel like Robin is, right. is a good cat's name. Anyways, that's how I'm doing. Uh, or so, some, it's something. How are, how are you doing, Carter? It yeah, it is. I'm, Mike is a lot well. right now. Can we restart 2020? Can we just, like, give it another go? Can somebody just hit the reset button somewhere, I don't know, in the seventh or so run of uh, of this one? We, we, I think we need to do, like, try again. We just Some of those choices we made early on, they, I feel like we talked to the, the dark path. Yeah, yeah. There's too much, too much uh, of people trying to take the. Uh, oh, what is it called in in Mass Effect? The Vanguard? No, the Vagabond. It's, uh, yeah, there's like there's yeah Renegade. renegade. Yeah, we've made too many Renegade choices and uh, didn't save scum enough. So I think we just might need to take 2020 from the top. Fuck, man. Yeah. Anyways, how are you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. I'm back in Florida for a time. So, uh, it's hot. If we're curious about the weather, Frank, I know you love the weather. It's a great thing, the weather, don't you think? Yeah, man. I mean, hey, I actually am not minding the fact that it's in the uh, 60s or 70s right now. Um, low humidity and it lots of like wind. It feels like 31 degrees Celsius. That's in the 80s. That's, uh, that's high 80s, isn't it? That's like 87, 88, isn't it? Uh, let me, tr- let me tr- change it to Fahrenheit. I, I don't know about the, the 30s. It's uh, 88. <laughs> it's because we've been talking about 30 and 31 so much. I'm getting better. Yeah, so it's very hot. Uh, I, uh, I actually, the room I'm in, Frank, didn't have an Ethernet port, and I don't have a Wi-Fi card. So ye- yesterday and the day before, so the day I drove in, my eight-hour journey, uh, I went up uh-huh. into the attic with my father, and we... Got got a Ethernet cord up through the attic and drilled a hole in the wall. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Holy shit, man! We both are going distances to uh, for our podcast. It's yep. for the podcast, right? For the podcast. Yeah, it's for the all podcast. of this is for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Not just for gaming online. <laughs> you don't want to know how hot it is in an attic in Florida. Oh, dude! <laughs> I, honestly, the fact that you have an attic kind of surprises me. I'm like, what are you using it for? Mostly for the dirt daubers to live. Do you know about the dirt daubers? Nope. They're a kind of wasp. Ugh. Yeah, so as we were laying down the cord, they were just like wasps swooping at us, and we're like, nope, get out of here. Jesus, dude. Oh, my God. Dirt daubers are not particularly aggressive. They only really bite you if you're really close to their nest. So they just swooped at us, which was frightening and annoying, but... Yeah, that's still pretty awful, but I'm glad it wasn't worse. Man, that's crazy, dude. Well, thank you for your for your for your sacrifice. It means a lot to me and to the to the listeners. Yeah, no, dude. I I uh, 
I guess both of us now are, you know, really putting our blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Yeah, you're putting a lot of sweat. I mean, I will say, I apparently... So, yes, everyone, just as a friendly reminder, I am back in the closet. Portable closet? That's what it... Portable closet. Apparently, there may be something, something about moving blankets and the fibers they use not being, like, safe or something. So I might need to (laughs) drape some sheets... I really hope it isn't like an asbestos situation where there's some sort of like carcinogens in this. asbestos. You know what? Actually, I don't think this can wait any longer. Uh, Moving blankets safe. I love that. We're going to find out that you've just been huffing asbestos. Well, don't worry, Frank. It takes like 30 years to show up. So you've got 30 30 good years for long. Oh, boy. Man, I'll make it all the way to 50. Yeah. I mean, 50 won't just die. You just get, like, terrible, crippling lung capacity. Well, they're apparently safe to wash in a wash machine to sleep on. Here, let's try that. Yeah, that's not what I'm asking, guys. Lots of... Can I wash the moving... You know, you want to know if you can breathe them in. Just really stick them up your nose. Uh, According to... Safe to wash. I don't... Guys... I think, okay, now I'm starting to wonder if some SEO was done to, 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 to use specifically here. I'm going to use, I'm going to put sleep in quotes. Come on, Google. Okay. Um, I, they might be okay. I think they wait, might be okay. Okay. More research is required. That is what I'm getting out of this. Is It seems a little, a little, uh, a little vague for my comfort, but yeah, for now, we, the podcast must go on. You should buy some linen. So it's a little bit less hot because linen is very breathable fabric. Well, the yes, I mean it is. I think what both my dad, who is an audio like genius, and also Good my girlfriend, place. who cares about my health, both suggested <laughs> is that we uh, I put some sort of like you know staple a sheet to the inside of it. So at the very least, like if there's any particulate or something that could get into my lungs, it's not ha- it wouldn't be you know reaching me something. I don't know. I've I. More research so is required. Your dad, your dad knows about the plaza now. He knows about the plaza. I told him about it yesterday when I was in Minnesota, yeah. Or two did days he ago. Get that, did he get that thousand-yard stare of disappointment? Or? No, he, he laughed so hard that he was having trouble breathing. Um, so, yeah. It was the blankets. The yeah, he thought it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Yep. Like I said, the things I do... Anyways, yeah. uh, speaking of the things we do, we should uh, we should get into the do episode. Them? Yeah, but uh, I think we should get into uh, this this week's episode. Yeah, Carter. Okay, let's do it. So All right. Well, I... so f- oh. yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead? I brought this up to Frank. I said, Frank, how about we? I've been playing a lot of Breath of the Wild. Look, I brought. Yep, yep, can see it in the, uh, he's currently wearing a Breath of the Wild, which, by the way, you might be proud of this, Rachel uh, is interested in um, us getting, she expressed interest in us getting Breath of the Wild as our next Switch game, so. Very good. So I think that might be on the docket, somewhere in the horizon, near, the near horizon. I've got at least 150 hours. Yeah, I I know, we're we're both, uh, I mean, at this point, we probably have a combined 150 hours in Animal Crossing, so. But. So I, I'm a big fan of the Zelda franchise. I own the Hyrule Historia. I played all the games except for the ones that are bad, in my opinion. Uh, Which ones are those? Because you, so you liked you liked the, the Skyward Sword one. I like Skyward Sword. I liked... 
Because forging the Master Sword, very cool. I that like... is very cool. Sorry, what was the second one you said you loved? Twilight Princess. Ocarina I, I think Twilight Princess is underappreciated. Absolutely. The just the style and the like grittiness. Very. I think it's just a better ocarina or uh, Majora's Mask. Like, I mean, Majora's Mask is an incredibly cool mechanic. But I guess what uh, what I mean is, is like the adventuring part of it and the way that you can like combine items or just like the little things you do. It's just better graphically. The the fighting is is more like you know. Some of the cool, like, uh, parry stuff that you get in Wind Waker, they bring in, but they bring in as, like, proactive, like, you actually have to participate in the move and time it. Yep. All of that stuff gets introduced in Twilight Princess, and I feel like people just don't acknowledge that. Anyways. But, again, but, like, those are the top, top ones for me. Like, Breath of the Wild thinks the best. I think it's just a masterpiece. Incredibly, incredibly good. Ocarina of Time's up there, probably second, because that was the game I grew up on. That was just a revolutionary game in 3D graphics. Sure. And, and you know, Z targeting storytelling, incredible. Didn't they invent Z targeting? Like the idea of like, uh, uh, wasn't that the first game where you like target something and then your strafing becomes circular? I don't know. Maybe. I seem to remember like literally the idea of of something being target. Anyways, but revolutionary yeah, so game mechanics. Twilight Princess, all excellent, excellent, excellent games. I the ones I would say were better like the DS ones, where it's like they're they're not necessary. Now here, this is where I do the caveat. They're not necessarily no, you bad go ahead. games. I don't enjoy them because when I go in for a Zelda experience, I'm not going in for a mobile experience. I'm going That's... for a big, beefy adventure. Okay. All right. That is understandable. Question. Have you ever played the Game Boy Color games, Oracle of Ages and Seasons? Um, uh, If I did, it, I was very young and don't remember. Okay. I will say that Oracle of Ages is maybe third on my list of... Okay. Not including Breath of the Wild, I think this is my this is my tier list here. Wind Waker, I think, makes it to the top. I I, I criticize Wind Waker not only for its art style, but also for the stupid fucking shards of the. Oh yeah, the Triforce, Triforce shards. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's Too for many. me. It was the, it was this it was the same thing that you probably liked about. Uh, uh, Breath of the Wild is that there's a lot of elective like you choose to do stuff but they made it a requirement and I think that they find that balance it sounds like better in Breath of the Wild and I re really am looking forward to playing that game but my, my well, I guess what I was going to say is, is my top is Wind Waker and then comes Twilight Princess probably or Majora's Mask honestly I take Majora's Mask over, over Oracle or I mean um, Ocarina of Time but then immediately after that it's Oracle of Ages because, so, I don't know if you ever, yeah, it sounds like you didn't play this. Also, Minish Cap is very good. I um, play Minish a Cap. Lot of, a lot of the mobile ones take carry on the heritage and make more advanced the, the game mechanics that people liked about the first Zelda and also Link to the Past. Like, the, the blood and spirit of those games shows up in the, um, in the mobile ones so strongly, and they're such good games. The yeah, fact that also, they released Oracle of Ages and Seasons 2 Zelda games at the same time that are different from each other and have crossing over mechanics, if you like, you can share items between the two games. It's crazy, dude. It's really cool, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, also, just with regard to the new, um, I've known the mobile console in a long time. So that's mm -hmm. And with regards to the, the new Zelda games that have been, they've all been of the style of Wind Waker and of the same timeline. So I've mm -hmm. just kind of been like, meh, don't care. Okay. 
Yeah, well, the I mean, okay, so yes, for, for Phantom Hourglass, I thought Phantom Hourglass was okay. I think that Spirit, Spirit Tracks is actually better, but it was also just a different and weird game. Um, it yeah. felt like a Zelda-esque game. I don't know. It was a Zelda-themed but, game with different Yes, I, Yes, well, I mean, and, and still some, some similarities, and they solve for some problems for the DS, but I will say I definitely do agree with you. I think, first of all, that A Link Between Worlds, really great Zelda game, Better than the 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 2DS games. Um, the 3DS Link Between Worlds is very good, and yeah, I've heard might games. even be better than Link to the Past, honestly. Which is very good. Yeah, I love Link to the Past. Anyways, this this uh, our our tier list of Zelda games can be found published online, and eleven Disney princesses that you won't believe will melt your heart about the Zelda games. Number five uh, ranked. Uh, that makes dentist furious. Um, I think we'll yeah. probably just shut the majority but of that conversation to the, the end reason, of the podcast the as well. Why I'm talking about Zelda. But yeah, I'm tell us why we're Zelda talking about Zelda here. It's because I thought I had I had the name in my head. I was thinking about it when I was driving home and I was like, okay, what if there was a sword? A sword that could Seal the darkness, just like the Master Sword, because it's a very interesting idea of, like, I love the idea right. in Zelda of the hero and the sword that chooses the hero, and when they're together, they can defeat the evil. Like, love it, big fan of that kind of trope of fantasy, right? Andoril with uh, Aragorn, mm-hmm. Narsil with it with um, Elendil, like, you know, killing, cutting off the ring, like, all this very cool stuff. But, mm-hmm. so I thought, let's bring that in here. But again, we have to get this Arunian idea down, this theme of, like, it's desperation. It's yeah. Like there, there won't be a hero in the end that'll save everything. That yeah. That's not how the story ends. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that if, if we do kind of have a hero get the, get the sword, it'll be the end of all things and for Arun. Mm. And it will be, everything will be past saving. And yeah. at that point, it's only a what? What is the? Uh, it is an avenger rather than a savior. Mm, okay, sure, I like that. I mean, first of all, so yeah, a couple of let's sort of just like set ourselves, sort of like refocusing and stuff back. Yeah. You know, also help 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 usher the uh, the the listener into kind of back into Orun. Just uh, just as a reminder, we are uh, we've been been returning to Orun each week and exploring new aspects of it we had decided that for our summer project we'd depart and sail across the seas from everest or fly or whatever however the hell you get there um and land in Orun. and we've been exploring this new continent um yeah so there is this right there's this corruption in Orun. i realized that i don't think in everest either i don't think we have a single arthurian legendary sword story like I don't think that we have that anywhere in our in Everest, is there? No. And we've done many legendary swords and legendary weapons, but I don't think we have like the the sword, the capital the S Escalibur, sword. Yeah. And I think part of that might be because I mean, in the same way that Arthurian legend is very regional to specifically England, Everest has a whole host of problems that it's dealing with all over the place. And if you travel a hundred miles in any direction, like you run into a whole host of other, like uh, we've got like this dark force invading of, uh, of like aberrations or something like that. We've got um, these monsters coming in from here. We've got angels that have decided that they, you know, need to eradicate all life to save the Ethereum or some shit like that. Um, but in Orun, 
again, we have that united front. We have that sense of everybody is all working together. There's very little warfare between peoples because nobody can afford that. Everybody is spending all day making weapons just to fend off themselves. They don't have time to take down tribes. And so I think the idea of having sort of an Arthurian, pulling some from some of the Arthurian mythos, or in the circumstances of Legend of Zelda, I was wondering, I don't know enough about Japanese folklore or mythology to know, is there like a legendary sword story that that's pulling from more than it would be from Arthurian legend? Like, is there a, I'm sure there's lots of stories of, in, in just about every culture of legendary weapons that can slay uh, monsters or whatever, but is there like the story in the same way that it is in 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 england i am not an expert in japanese mythology it's one of the mythologies i don't know very much about i would I love know, to learn more oh yeah i'm sure it's very interesting I, you know i just haven't gone there because you know every culture has fascinating mythologies mm-hmm. but so i i would say that the little i know about it i'd never come across it so that it may not exist the only Here's the, the one story of Japanese sword folklore I know, and that's of Mura, um, what's his name? It may be like his name. Miramasa, Miramasa. the demon blade? Is that a thing? I, I know there's a video game that's called that, um, but um, I wasn't sure if that was based on sort of... I think his name is Muramasa. So Muramasa was like a, it like, it legitimately existed, people think, who was a master swordsmith. And he had, like, his. the story goes he had a student, and a student came to him after, like, having worked on his own for a very long time and said, I'm a better swords. Sengo Muramasa. Famous yeah, swordsmith, yeah. He came to him and said, I'm a better swordsmith than you now. And he said, okay, well, let's see. So they both presented their newest blades. Both, and then they, uh, the master gave him a challenge, which was, we, we will see, you know, which sword cuts the lily you know, lily pads going through the water in the river better. And so he's like, okay. So the, the student sticks his sword in the, in the river. It cuts mm-hmm. the lily pad perfectly, just with the force of the river. And it, like, diverges and, you know, the halves go opposite ways. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the master nods and then puts his sword in there. And it cuts through the lily pad. The lily pads separate and reform. <laughs> Oh, they like come back together. Yeah, it was such a perfect cut that they could heal that's, together. That's that's like so great. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and so that, and then he proved that he was the better swordsman still, because okay. he knew there was not just destruction; that was the purpose of the sword or something like this. That's the story that I know. That's okay. Cool All right, now hold on a second. I am catching up to what you just—the last thing you said. Destruction is not the only purpose of a sword. All right, are we taking that literally though? Like, are you trying to? Or is that a metaphor? Not you. I mean, like, in this story, I'm like, are you saying that swords can, like, cut things so that you can also put them back to... No, it's probably... It's probably representative of the idea as a weapon is not the, the only... I mean, per- I think the, the philosophies of martial arts is in general are about, like, you know, we've kind of addressed or talked about it within the bounds of, you know, Helume of, like, uniting the soul and the idea of, like, knowing thyself. And it's a physical meditation of thyself. An expression yeah, of also, the body. And the body's be... capabilities and limits. Might also be the discussion of weapons as not being merely tools of death, but also tools of protection. Yes, totally. And that's kind of what I, it sounded like. Like you can, it can forge communities or tighten bonds or things like that. Sure. Okay, so in our situation, in Orun, returning back to sort of the fantastical world, we're, you're thinking think we're more. There are. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, probably I would like to find. I mean, 
maybe we come back to this when we've when we've studied a little bit more Japanese folklore or just yeah. like honestly I just want to read Journey to the West to start like how about that or the Romance of the Three Kingdomes like anything I've um, read I'm a just third of the so Romance of Three Kingdoms the first book it's yeah hard to read is it hard to read I bet there's some it's modern hard. translations out there that could be good I read the 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 like the go-to best translation oh really okay and it's just tough. It's just like there's so many fucking names. They all mm-hmm. sound slightly similar because, you know. Because you're not, not familiar with the culture enough to. Exactly. Yeah. Joe and, it, and John and Jake and, you know, the equivalent yeah. of that. It very much reads kind of like biblical stories. and It's just like ooh, yeah. really hard to get really hard to get into it. Noveling novels didn't come out uh, till the time of Quixote and later. So. So that that's my well. I'm sure there's some like some synopses on on YouTube, some video essays or something we could watch. Anyways, whatever. We'll come back to that. Um, but yeah, so definitely pulling from Arthurian legend. I think it sounds like the premise of what you're saying is is that there is rumored to be a blade, uh, a powerful magical, I'm assuming weapon that can yes. vanquish the darkness. Are we talking Dispel like the corruption? Like, literally, like, with sword swings that's, like, sweeping the corruption away and, like, it's, like, the wailing and, and as it, like, withers and uh, breaks down. Uh, or are we talking, like, straight up, like, if you, like, pierce it in, all of it goes away right away? Um, do you, so you haven't played Breath of the Wild at all? No. All right, this is not a spoiler. Okay. Um, when the Master Sword... The Master Sword's in the game, by the way, spoiler. <laughs> Uh, what? When the Master Sword is in contact with Ganon or nearby Ganon or his minions mm-hmm. that are directly infected with Ganon's malice, it glows blue, just like Sting. Ooh. Okay. And it deals extra damage. All right. So what I would say is basically, in the in the presence of corruption, this thing glows or has some sort of visible tell or audible tell, and mm-hmm. it. Just like, it's a normal magical sword up until it gets near corruption, and then it's like super. It like okay. when you touch corruption to it, the corruption just like evaporates, just burns away. It's like you know that searing holy fire. And I think it is. A yeah. Holy fire. Okay, I like this. Um, do you see it as something that? Uh, is it a conscious? Is it awake? Like, does it does it hear and think and see and perceive and talk to its user? Uh, I don't know. I'm fully open for anything. Okay. You know, I love sentient weapons, but I'm fully open for that to be a question. It might, it may have a consciousness, but maybe it doesn't. That might depend on its story too. You know, like it, so I know, had, I was had, the swordsmith, the spirit of the swordsmith, given to the sword to give it its awakeness or something. Like, where does this the, this weapon come from? Uh, is this a lost lore that people don't know about? And if so, then what do they know about this sword? Is this something where uh, uh, heroes have sought it out to vanquish the darkness and have gone on journeys. Is this a, a cultural touchstone? Is it just a reference point? You know, how relevant is this? I wanted to put forward the idea it's lost lore, uh, and it's, you know, it's basically fantasy. Okay. To anyone in a room, except for the very few that, you know, take fantasy seriously, the, the people that take myths as being true. And this is what I wanted to put forward as its origin, but I am happy to change it or to talk about how it might be different or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so you remember how we, we identified the agents of the corruption originally as possibly a angel who had fallen. Right, yes, yeah. 
one of the, um, as we've referred to them in the past, for the listener who obviously we don't talk a lot about this or haven't, uh, dusks, the idea of a dusk. It's, a, it's like a fallen angel, basically. But not it just used, a fallen angel, but one of the, like... The most like, powerful and greatest. In the courts of the regents level angel. Like, the yeah, the most powerful, like, top 16 or whatever. Yeah, the solars, as we were mm-hmm, The solars. The to them as. And so I would want to say, what if this was the solar sword? Mm. And, it, 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 and they could no longer wield it, and that they cast it aside. And either mm. someone found it and treasured it, or it found a way, or it was hidden by the angel. Dude. The, you know, dusk. Maybe each of the solars had a legendary weapon. Might have been swords, might not have been. But whatever the case, each of these weapons was awakened and it, it had its its life breathed into it by the animus itself like it something where it's the animus yeah it was like quite literally like the animus the um which are like the foundations of the ethereum uh here let me and maybe each one was like forged within two of the nine flows or something like this uh-huh yes exactly um so the sort of ambition so- and truth or the uh, the record according to the record of the lore keeper, the animus is the sentient plane that embodies a specific aspect of own's being. An animus is the plane of space itself, but may take a specific form at times. Each animus has its own aspirations, choices, and plans. It executes at a glacial rate compared to the activities of mortals and even the divine regents. The animus uh, animus's movements chart as slowly as the stars over eons and avum. Uh, they are when we refer to like. Um, different parts of the alluvium or uh, the ethereum, uh, like the different heavens, they are quite literally the like the body of that like realm. So okay, but so my idea was, what if like the animus like breathed life into it, mm-hmm. and then because the animus isn't particularly communicative. No, they almost, I mean they but barely speak to the regions. The regions will hear quote unquote their voice a you know less than a handful of times over since be, beginning of existence started um they're uh as close to like the primordial nature of nascent spirit as 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 one gets um and they're the, the holy spirit as hmm? if own is god <laughs> they're the holy spirit sure i mean yeah why not uh we can we can make that comparison I don't know. I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. All I know is yeah, that's mysterious. very that's very silly. But sure, uh, why not? Whatever. Um, we're we're already you know we go all over the place with Christian references, anyways. Um, but yeah, so like I'm just here. This is where I was trying to go with that. It was just that there could be a really interesting story where you have the solar, and then it has this sentient weapon and the two of them are almost like a duo that protect and fight or whatever, like, you know, range out and vanquish evil or, you know, look after that, which is, you know, good and protect it. And then the angel falls and becomes a dusk and the, the weapon is either cast aside or throws itself aside, like literally pushes itself away because it sees what's happening to the angel. And because for whatever reason, maybe it can't be corrupted or just didn't get corrupted. It like says no. And so there's like this relationship, this connection, this companionship that they had. And I mean, this strange relationship between the tool and the wielder of the tool. And, you know, maybe that the, 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 this blade itself that extended out 
stories into people's dreams or something like that, saying if one, like one day when one should find me, like this prophecy of being able to vanquish the darkness because only the weapon that was wielded by the corruptor can be, you know, can be its undoing. Yeah, and maybe, you know, only one with the soul of an angel. I feel like it's like a Bon Jovi song or something. Can wield it. Like, that's the le- how the legend goes. Maybe you become an angel if you wield it. You become oh, the right. next solar or something. Or not even, not like a, a, a literal transformation happens, but you take on the strength and endurance of angels or something Uh, what is i mean yeah maybe or it grants you flight or something like that and it's like i have chosen the successor and this like transformation begins to take place or literally the gods have like approved it or something i would be so interested to see how all that get stuff gets filtered through orunian lore especially because their relationship to all of that stuff is with the wild gods so for instance the wild gods operating out of the alluvium what does that make them think of the angels then because the yeah. angels are operating out of Ethereum. What is that relationship like for them? Those are very different forces from each other. They view the gods as being these sort of chaotic, but also ultimately benevolent or on the side of nature. And because Arunian peoples view themselves as also on the side of nature, probably. Well, I mean, and even that might be a question. But like for those that do, they would say, ultimately, it's like a dangerous force, but I'd rather have them, you know, this feral power on my side or at least fighting an enemy of my enemy right and maybe the idea is that uh the fae and the angels are either like kin or uh the angels are you know like a different faction of the fae just like the fae have Mm -hmm. you know the the Twilight Lodge and the Lodge of the Dawn or the House of the Dawn. The House of Dawn. Or the Dawn Palace? The Dawn Palace. Yeah, the Dawn Palace. And yeah. or there could be that the the Fae are like um are cloaks or skins or like um a kind of body worn by angels or something like this. Hmm. But I like or, the, the previous stuff. I mean maybe what it is is like creatures like centaurs and uh and and satyrs and other fae figures if fairies they might see it more like nature itself cladding itself or themselves in i think itself in a form and moving i i think that maybe the relationship to angels might be a little bit more foreign like they might not either might not understand them or see them kind of like that's true maybe more like the jinn are viewed in um in a lot of Islamic folklore where it's like a power to be wielded that is a divine power or like a pseudo divine power, but also because I want, man, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, but I think according to Islamic mythology, the like mankind, the ordination of man is still above the angel. And so angels or the jinn in this, in this situation, I believe are literally like just spirits um, are, a force that Allah allows humanity to basically take control of and, and order. I think that that might be what that is. Uh, I, again, definitely folklore. I would love to like learn more about, but where I'm going with that that is interesting. Like, it's basically like, I wonder, first of all, how exposed to Orun, how exposed are they to angels? How much are angels showing up in Orun? I think they show up less than they do in Everest, which is to say... I would definitely agree with that, very much at all. 
I think maybe there might be a level at which angels uh, and the angelic forces of the Ethereum might be more concerned with interpersonal conflicts between the knowing than they are necessarily with wars between them and devils or whatever. Like, it's not that they... Or that they would do both of those things, but that the corruption is something else entirely and is not really as much their business. Like, they might have people who... It might be the equivalent of, like, we're observing and occasionally engaging, but almost feels kind of like a foreign power. Uh, Carter's, like, leaning way back from his mic. He has an idea. Okay, here you go. This is my pitch. You ready? Yeah. What if they fear that the corruption can even corrupt angels and they will fall if they're exposed to it just like the solar fell i was gonna say there's evidence there's precedent exactly so what if they're like we can't fight it we have to send proxies and maybe it's not even that like i mean it's a fear not even just a fear of killing them or like corrupting them but literally like like subsuming them and like they no longer making the problem worse i mean it might be that yeah like they become part of the miasma i like that that's very good so angels for the most part, stay away aside from those who are like maybe objectors and like actually recognize, Hey, the heavens, you guys have abandoned these people. You don't see what they're dealing with here. Somebody needs to do something. And I like the idea of sort of like a rogue house of angels, uh, that has chosen to band with and, but maybe, but yeah, but maybe because, Oh, go ahead. The house of angels is like patroned one of the havens. And it's like, this haven is like, it's more friendly with the angels than all the others because they like mm-hmm. were have interacted with them and, and understand them to a greater extent than the other havens. And they, mm. the other havens are fearful and are like, what are these creatures? They're not Yeah, they. Yeah. Also, I had a thought. I was like, yeah. I wonder how these people interact with these in uh, societies. If Let's say that they sort of tried to like cloak themselves in humility not glow or not do any of the crazy things angels do. You know, maybe they're not gorgeous. Maybe they literally are like altering their, their, their physical form to look more modest or something to appear like unknowing. And maybe they're seen as just like winged humidoids. But even in that situation, because they respond and are like, maybe they're much more contagious to the corruption's effects um, than even the humans uh, or, or the other knowing at first they sent, you know, these, these basically like missionaries, you know, trying to like respond to and help out the Arunians and then caught the corruption like that. And so then stories started to begin to spread about like, Hey, these winged people, you know, they are not like, they're not like the Arakokra. They're different or something. They look like people, but with wings, whatever we did, they, the Arunians decide to call them they are actually the corruption in disguise or something yeah, like the that. Agents of the corruption. Literally, yeah, because they appear to, like, yeah. you know, because overnight, all of a sudden, they start to just destroy within a town or whatever. And so there's this misinformation about this band of angels and what is left over of them trying to, like, solve these problems. There could be some and really maybe, cool storytelling to do with that. Yeah, maybe there's, you know, also, like, weird UFO stuff where it's like, they or like Zeus stuff, probably more Zeus stuff, where like they go down as a shower of gold and impregnate women so they can have agents that are, you know, half angel and send them visions, that kind of thing. 
I mean, I could definitely see a situation where that would be... I wouldn't be rooting for those folks. That would be probably a broken faction off even, like, a separate... I mean, it sounds what it sounds like is explorers who lost contact with the with the fleet or something who end up in foreign lands, and some of them are trying to like understand the locals, and the others are just like we need to like you know establish our claim or something. They don't you know we need to educate them on civility or something. Although I will say I think it's hard for me to imagine that angels wouldn't be more benevolent than colonial like colonists. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. But I think like some severely broken off, like or like busted version of them, because they are supposed to be like above us ethically and morally, like capable of 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 more good and more compassion than we are, uh, and you know wiser. Carter has another idea. What's your other idea? What if they do the history things? You know about the Astari and the Astari. Uh, yes. no, what is that? I, that sounds so, so familiar. I'm sure you've talked about it before. Sure, yeah. So when Sauron was getting big and powerful, mm -hmm. uh, about, I think it was like several hundred years, maybe like 500 years before, mm -hmm. like the events of the War of the Ring, uh, Valinor, right? The, the West where all the, the angels are sent yeah. over. Isn't Valinor like Atlantis basically? Or am I thinking, what uh, am I thinking? That's Numenor. Numenor, right. Valinor's different. Valinor's heaven. Okay. For the elves. Right, right. Yeah. And so that's where all the archangels live that rule the earth. And mm -hmm. they sent over five angels and Glorfindel the elf, who wanted to return to Middle-earth to help them. Right. They sent them over to help against Sauron, because they okay. knew that Middle-earth would need the help. Okay. The five history were ranked by color. They were Saruman the White, Gandalf mm -hmm. the Grey, Radagast the Brown, and then the two blue wizards who went to the east and were never seen again. Okay. Those and are the Astari? Are, Wait, Gandalf yes. is an Astari? Yes. A okay. wizard is another name for an Istari. And these Interesting. Istari, okay. And these Istari, they are angels, but have been quote-unquote robed in the bodies of old men. And they cannot okay. manifest their their true nature or their, or their enti the entirety of their power, because their mission is not to overpower the uh, Sauron or his agents. Their mission is to unite the peoples of Middle-earth in opposition. Oh, wow. Okay. I like that. We can definitely pull in a starry. That the angels... Maybe that's what it was, was there was one of the, not even necessarily one of the regents, but it might have been one of the Solars who said, our regent has like basically entrusted into my hands a rune because they think that, you know, for whatever reason, we actually should care about this. I've done a little bit of research. This is what I think we should do. Here's the sitch. You know, one of our Solars became a Dusk, right? That's a problem. Clearly, we almost cannot touch this land, so we are going to have to basically send our Death Watch in, like the equivalent of our, like, some of our most powerful angels. However, we are, this is House Concordance or something. You know, this is like a, this is a house that is about, like, you know, communication or, or connecting other, you know, angels together to be messengers, the most messenger part of angel, which the word literally, I think, means messenger. Yeah, it's um, Greek. Angelos. Yeah. Right. And so, like, in that situation, uh, they're like, hey, so, yeah, we're going to send you guys in. You need to unite the Arunians um, against this force and trust that they can take, uh, take and destroy um, the corruption. 
Because maybe at the time, this was shortly after the corruption occurred with the Solar. Uh, maybe at the time, Orun was only sort of just picking itself up after, you know, being the land of the giants or something like that. And the corruption maybe started to drive the, the giants away or something and abandon their lands. Um, something like that. Yeah, so maybe, um, maybe we do have like a Grey Wanderer, a Gandalf, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great pilgrim who want, goes from haven to haven and tries to like give people news and tell people right. what's going on. Exactly, and so these angels like crash land or something, right? Like they end up with a situation where they cannot get back. They are marooned in a rune, and as they start to expose, like are exposed more to the corruption and stuff, there is a breakaway where like a chunk of them, some thirty or forty of these individuals, some very powerful angels who have clothed themselves in the bodies of the knowing. Uh, or garbed themselves, maybe, is a different word. I don't know. Whatever. Garb is... Both, is, both is it's more, more, uh, it's more monomythic. Um, garb themselves in the bodies of the knowing. Um, and then these other ones have decided, like, no, actually, uh, they didn't understand the whole situation. What we need to do is, and in, in interpreting the will of the solar as, actually, we need to, like... I don't know if it's really impregnate, but like basically like conquer these people and unite them through conquering. And they do the whole Palpatine thing of, uh, so like there might be this whole division that it might be known as like the kingdom of like of iron or something like that, where it is. Oh, that's our, that's our dictatorship. Right. Well, yeah, we have a separate, we have a separate area where the angels have united several city states, but the problem is, is that they don't think that they're corrupted and they already have been. And so we have this weird, it's like this gray zone between are they corrupted or not? Well, the corruption is there, but it's not actively destroying everything else. It has allowed for civilization to continue because the most like powerful parts of it that are defining everything else have corrupted it. And then like the original band of, of like of those who were dropped in, maybe actually are the ones who start to unite the people of Orun and those that when their garb sort of like falls away unintentionally or for whatever magical reasons, like, you know, becomes evident that they have wings and stuff. That's when the fear starts and like the story starts. So there are still some angels that have, have stuck around, but they have their powers have been locked away, but they still have the same mission. And the thing, the really, the only thing that they have other over other people is probably that they're basically unde like undying and that they have knowledge and that there is a knowledge that the other people do not have. The, 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 the knowing do not have in a rune. Yeah. Okay, I like this. Yeah, maybe it could be like the fear is spread by like uh, a lone, you know, like figure who can go between havens. It's like anyone who did that would die. So they mm -hmm. must be in league with the corruption. Right, exactly. Or, yeah, just like a simple wanderer who tries to quietly di like uh disseminate information into a uh, uh like between blocks or whatever of a hold before moving on to another place and then allow those rumors to move via uh traders or messengers to uh to the larger havens so that the word gets out about things yeah because if uh and like you're saying you know saruman he's an angel and he fell he mm -hmm. wanted to conquer middle earth he wanted mm -hmm. to rule men he's like hell yeah quite literally yeah same yeah. things going on and then that's why uh, Denethor, one of the reasons why Denethor didn't trust Gandalf. He said, I know what you're doing. You, you're, you come here to my city in the middle of war, and you, you bring Aragorn, this mm -hmm. pretender to the throne of Gondor, to supplant right. exactly. me. exactly, yes. 
precisely. So like that same fear exists, like very much pulling from Lord of the Rings unintentionally there or yeah. partially intentionally, or, you know, whatever. Um, it's always there. For so how does this all relate back to the sword? I think, I mean, look, we, we can definitely do a part two on that too, because I think that there's more to be told there. Um, but I think, first of all, I think it is a weird artifact. And I mean weird in the Shakespearean sense. It is like supernatural in a way that other artifacts that they recover are different because yes. the language around it, the grove that maybe it's hidden in is deep in the corruption or something. And it is not a part of any giant ruins or anything like that. It is yep. not a giant's weapon. This is an angelic weapon. It doesn't, the lost language of giant runes or whatever that the people of Orun recover has nothing to do with this sword and so even if somebody were to uncover it they could i mean they could definitely tell by its power but they'd be like what is this thing it's utterly alien to us yeah and they it, you know they may not even be able to identify its true power unless it's in the presence of corruption mm -hmm. so they yeah, may I'm, get it and they may take it away but then they won't know it what it is until it's been you know it's been exposed to corruption yeah because then you know that's when it shines brightly and shows its power Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think... So the sword is, like, somewhere in the bosom, like, of, of, of like, the, 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 the lost lands of Orun, the parts of it that Absolutely. have been completely taken over. Um, and yet the sword remains untouched. There's, like, a 20... Maybe it's that the corruption can't even see it. Yeah. Maybe it's, like, literally invisible to the corruption and that's one of the things that makes it so powerful is that it, it, it renders the wielder invisible to the corruption as well like it, it cannot be perceived or known cannot be ratified like the, the but, consciousness but th of the corruption the, can't the interesting see thing it. the corruption they can't see it and so they can see the blind spot you know what i mean Mm, it has become aware over time that there is a blind spot and it's no it knows it's there and so maybe what it is is that this grove of trees has these weird like sloughs of decaying corruption that have almost like appendages that have thrown itself in and like just lie there fallow because the moment that they went in they were just immolated and caused right. to be uh like broken by the by the the the, the sword and they just lay there and the corruption is like, I don't know if that didn't if that did anything. I'll try again, and I just keep on trying again, and none of it can get close enough to the sword or even come close to touching. Maybe there's even some of it that splashed up against the sword and then just completely just burned away or dissolved because it couldn't yeah. touch it. Absolutely. That's cool. I really like that. Okay. I feel like we are getting close to our one and one, and I think I have a real doozy of one that might turn into its All own right. episode. Do it. Should I go first? Do it. Okay. So here's my idea for, for a one. Something I have this that has been tickling my mind. And I don't know if it's because I've been playing with the idea of what is the role of written language in a rune. I am not a huge fan of fantasy that doesn't elevate the importance of writing or, or allow for people to be educated in that way. I think that's such a valuable... I don't know. For some reason, I just really care about whether people can write or not because it just opens doors. It's like almost like a prerequisite for some some kinds of thinking. But uh, I've been thinking about like, well, what is the value of a written language in the world of Orun? Like, who has time to learn how to do that, or like, what do they use it in their day to day with? And more recently, 
while we were talking about this, this idea of like traveling and that information is power, there is something about information that I feel like Arun might be doing something to. Like maybe the way that the corruption works. And I have an idea and I want to shop this with you, you know, probably in a future episode or whatever, but I'm going to introduce it now. What if there is this forgetting where it's like Swiss cheese holes in the mind, in the memory, just occasional things where people don't realize they have forgotten things. And so written knowledge becomes important because it might be one of the only ways that people can actually remember things. And it just occasionally happens. Not like a lot, but like a parent might suddenly just forget that they had a child one I day. I thought you were going to go in a completely opposite direction. And they might be mortified and remember like, oh, like I, I have a child and, and then that day, like the block like kind of comes in and reminds them and takes care of them. And is like, it was a forgetting. And, but like, what if it was, what if it was like this deepness where all of a sudden it's not just that you forgot, but literally like you won't be able to remember again. And you have to completely relearn or re-meet this person you knew your whole life. Maybe your significant other or something. Or it could be like, you know, simpler information. Just just like, hey, this, what if an entire block suddenly forgot that they were connected to the rest of them and didn't recognize anybody outside of them or whatever? I don't know. So I don't know how we how we tie that in, but I think that that could be a really powerful thing. And especially like it elevates the value of the written word and doesn't solve for any problems either like it you know yeah anyway so that that was kind of a thought that i had i thought you're gonna go so have you ever read mistborn by brandon sanderson no but i keep on seeing it everywhere and i'm really thinking i should start it great fucking book and really awesome magic system fucking really cool and even the, it's a trilogy and then there's another trilogy set like 200 years later that's also really fun. oh that's always so fun yeah brandon sanderson again you know fucking he's excellent but it does something with writing that you might find interesting. Okay. And that's should I check it out? I think I should check it out. Yeah! This one's really fucking good. Okay. All right. Maybe I will. Right. Um, but my yeah. one, Frank. Mm-hmm. What if one of the angels or a part of the faction of the angels that are the good guys, what if they're searching for the sword? They're like, we know that the, the Dusk had a sword. We know that they had this. And, you know, if even if the Dusk fell, the thing dipped in anima. The animus could never be corrupted. Where is it? I think. I think you've got. Searching for it. I think you've got more than one group. I think that you have some of that Iron Kingdom or whatever faction oh. that has the equivalence of like conquistadors who have basically enslaved locals to find this sword, and they're doing like sort of like a an El Dorado thing. I totally. I'm totally into this, and like, there's like a race to find the sword. Um. And that race has, like, continued for, you know, hundreds of years or something, but, like... Yeah, but the race to find the sword is, like, you know, so in the background. Yes. I mean, aside from for the people who are doing it, but yes, yeah. for everyone else, even the even the leaders of the Iron Kingdom are... I think we're probably going to come up with a different name than that, but, like, uh, the, like, even for those people who are secretly angels or whatever, this is still something that they've, like they throw it's like the the monthly bill that they just throw money at and they know they have a subscription to it and eventually they'll get around to it but it's yeah, just not the, important like, you know, right 100 now. angels there's like one guy he's like it's your job find it right How's exactly it going? oh you're still doing it okay good 
there's like one or two angels that report back every year to the Iron Throne or whatever and, and, and tell them about it. So And Westeros? Oh, right, yeah. This this is exactly why we can't call it the Iron Kingdom. Also uh, because I'm the Bronze sure, Kingdom. Oh, bronze I'm pretty Earth. sure that both iron and bronze are not weapon uh, or like metallurgy that they might have access to. Or if they do, it's 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 much more I still really feel like I'm on that I'm on that kick about metal being a lot harder to reach or access in Orun than it is in in Everest. I don't know. I think it's a demand thing. It might be. Like, yeah, I mean, especially because Why would we the, like, dig a big fucking mine when we can just get some bone that works? We're already having to kill monsters every day and their bones become these fantastically powerful weapons. What's the point of investing in research for all of this stuff if the bones and the bone swords and stuff also are probably easier to enchant. Like our shamans can't find the spirit of metal like they can the spirit of bone. They can't reach out to the creature that was here in the same way that they, you know, uh, because there was no creature here. This is just dead earth. And then I don't that's know, what, something like that. And then like much later, maybe there's one haven that's figured out how to put like the bone in the, the iron uh-huh. to make steel. Uh-huh. So it or, can be enchanted. And or, like, also, both of these situations, you also yeah. have shamans who discover the spirit of, of, of the mountain or something like that and can actually speak to stone, lithomancers who can actually speak to, like, the, the minerals and the metals and stuff and actually pull, draw the spirit of the primordium and, you yeah, know, cross maybe, that bridge. Maybe they got it, they found some, like, ancient stone giant writings. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, exactly. Or, like, woke up with it, you know? I don't know. Okay. Also, man, we've got some pretty rich stuff we're adding. So, yeah, I think I think it's time to call it. out a good load of stuff. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty fucking pretty fucking rich. good. Well, I think that probably covers it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy this exploration into the lands of Orune and the realms of the Ethereum and beyond. If you enjoyed listening, you can give the Lore Keepers a five star rating on iTunes, or better yet, tell others about us. Tell I don't know. Tell tell the your fellow protesters. Just because it's the end of this show doesn't mean the world building stops. Check out the weekly aftermath on r slash floorkeepers. That's red.com forward slash r forward slash floorkeepers. That's where the real fun begins. The aftermath is where the community can react to the weekly topic and let their ideas become a part of the story. The subreddit is also the perfect place to ask a sort to find resources, ask questions, and make your mark hard of the discourse. You can also reach us at Lorekeepers at the Lorekeepers on Twitter if that platform is even still around in a week. Jesus Christ. Uh that's a whole other thing. I not even I don't even want to fucking talk <laughs> about that, man. That just fucking God. <laughs> hey, you know, welcome welcome to the party, Twitter. First time for everything, I guess. Um Anyways, uh, or you could email us, which well, that'll probably still be around, lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com. Finally, thanks to Josh Silker for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lorekeeper's theme. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, don't forget, there are always more swords to d- uncover. Bye. Bye. Okay, um... It's the so International I, Day of You and Peacekeepers, Frank. Wow. That's, uh... Dude, have you heard what's been going on in Minneapolis? Yeah, I was gonna ask you about it, because that's, like, that's your jam. That's your city.
It is my city. I mean, not necessarily your jam. No, not really my jam. Um, and it's filled the with whole, the St. Paul. The whole situation is. I mean, it's not. It's moving to more than just St. Paul. It's it's like catalyzing the nation in some ways, and. I don't know. It reminds me of the L.A. riots a little bit, With although King less in Rotten. severity at, at the yeah at, at this current moment. But like, you know, it's it's super fucked up. I mean, honestly, oh, what do I have to say about it? You're I have a lot of things to say. Of the lorekeeper's position or... of Frank's position. Frank does not okay. necessarily speak for the lorekeepers, but uh, he speaks for one of the two lorekeepers. I mean, I think, first of all, that what is recorded, I have no doubt that the, I mean, you know, I don't think it's very, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, it'd be like surprising to anyone if I basically just came out and said, I'm straight up just a socialist at this point. Oh, socialist <laughs> um, friends. Like, I mean, it's just like, you know, big surprise, but especially like what American socialism even means. But like, I just... You mean kiddie pool socialism? <laughs> yeah, I know. Dipping our toes in. Bernie, the radical left, turns uh, out he's actually pretty center, so like uh, center left for uh, for. Yeah. You know. Take him to France, and they'll be like, "Who is this milksop?" <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you come back with some stronger, stronger firepower <laughs> here? Anyways, my point just being, um, what happened to George Floyd is absolutely subhuman um that is it is it is it is hard to process how horrific that is for several minutes until the man literally just like died i have friends of mine who have been part of the protests as for the police precinct which as of this recording this is how far it has escalated is is this morning we uh heard that this is, you know, for any audio listeners who might be, you know, tuning in to the after show uh, that, yeah, of 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 this as of this recording. The police precinct precinct uh, was burned down, the third police precinct. And um, I really honestly, the looting bothers me a little bit, only slightly more. And doesn't even really bother me that much. I think I would have been shocked several years ago to say that that bothers uh, that doesn't bother me that much. But these days, like, it the reason is is because it's simply symptomatic of this is what happens when taking a knee does nothing. People freaked out about people taking a knee and respectfully like declining to you know to to uh, during our national anthem or whatever, and then. No justice is responding to that, and the law is only good. I mean, you as a philosopher, you know, know this, that the law is only so good as it actually respects justice and, and answers to justice. And if it doesn't, then, like, it's not behaving in an ethical way. Things like this that happen are simply the fallout of when justice continues to not come, and people are left... I don't know. I heard it described as like even the looting was, you know, a target can be- come back. Joyd, uh, George, George Floyd cannot. And that's the main difference. Also, those businesses are insured. Like it, it, it's, it's almost it's Rachel and I were talking about this morning uh, about this this morning of it's kind of insane to think of this as being like that they're stealing anything when the government and their political circumstances have taken so much from them in the first place. 
that's not theft when people have already been like taking their stuff, you know, especially because the current circumstances with the unemployment rate being as high as it is at like 25%, you know that that skews demographically towards those neighborhoods way higher. Like, you know, for, for the average white person, I would not be surprised if the, the unemployment is, was closer to like 15 or 10%, which is still bad, but like, you know, versus neighborhoods like that anyways. So yeah, man, it's a fucked up thing. I want justice for America. <laughs> I want justice for George Floyd. This is the world we live in now. Um, it's fucking insane. 2020, man. Yeah, I, I have two things to say from with uh, just as kind of an addendum to what you said. One is, uh, as you said, taking a knee hasn't really done anything. Uh, police mm-hmm. killings have stayed roughly around 1,100 per year mark since 2020. Mm-hmm. Like, they just haven't I, fluctuated very much at all. Yeah. I saw something um, Will Smith back in 2016 apparently said uh, uh, on... on um, Oh, what's his name? The guy who's really into D&D and Tolkien and uh, has a night show and ran for Uh, president. Stephen Colbert? Yeah, Colbert, yeah. Um, He said, America hasn't got more race... It's it's not... Oh, yeah, that, you know, America hasn't gotten more racist. It's that it's getting filmed. And I was like, yep, that's exactly what it is. Anyway, sorry, you had had another thing to say. The the other thing... Is that, uh, like you said, it's not really stealing anymore at this point. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, uh, this is a good old Catholic philosopher, St. Thomas Aquinas. He's a saint. Uh, Oh, sure. He made the claim. Natural law. That everyone has a right to what they need. Mm -hmm. So it's not stealing if you're taking what you need, because you have a right to that. Right. So long as you're not violating other people's rights to what they need. Right. And on the surface, that looks like, okay, well, if you're stealing a DVR or whatever, then that's unethical. And it's like, well, yeah, probably technically. But also, first of all, they might be selling that. Also, who sells a DVR anymore? What the fuck even is that? I mean, (laughs) they're grabbing all the TiVos, Frank. Yeah, like, a, I don't know, a, a, a Sony laptop or whatever. But like, you know, you might be selling that. Or the other thing is, I don't know. I'm not going to I'm not going to condone burning down a police station. But I'm also like I get it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised at all the fury and the frustration of the the public of America being in a situation especially those who have just been under quasi-fascist or straight up fascist regimes like within that are just perpetrated by our own government being furious and oh what it's somebody a writer who said basically when you burn down a store it's a, a like it's a riot when you burn down a, a police station it's a rebellion and the people who are talking about like not having any respect for your communities or whatever the police in this situation are basically an invading force on a community burning down a police station that's not not having respect for your community that's trying to protect your community from like you know oppressors the Especially when, yeah, anyways, I don't know. I just, really, I have, I have thoughts. You'd really like, I, I don't know if it was Foucault or Fanon. Uh, both of them were uh, black philosophers that talked about uh, like colonial, like colonial struggles and mm-hmm. seeing the colonial occupying force and the kind of like rebellion that came with it. There's a big thing. I think it, I want to say it was Foucault with Algeria and the French Algerian war. Very interesting stuff is writing on that. 
because he's he's a medical doctor, mm-hmm. he's a psychologist mm-hmm. as well as a philosopher. But mm-hmm. you'd be interested in that. Um, but also, you know, just for for every protester who's burning down a police station, there's you know five protesters that are at the governmental buildings peacefully protesting. Yes, and that's and that's a huge part of it that I feel like is not getting represented by. Like, I don't know how much of this has been the state of things since forever, and I haven't known about it because I haven't been a part of the local news or following, like, you know, because things have happened in Minneapolis before violent crime happens all the time in the Twin Cities, but uh, specifically, this this is just, you know, above and beyond. This is, you know, it is, it is very much the entire nation is responding. L.A., Denver, um, there was that shooting in Kentucky, or was it Tennessee, uh, and and you mean the one with the the runner, the jogger? The the woman was killed, and then like in protest, seven more people were killed. Oh no, I don't know where that is. I thought you were referring to the earlier um, police brutality shooting with the black jogger in Georgia. No, I'm thinking of something different. Although, man, okay. the fact that I didn't even know about that one. You didn't know about that one. I didn't know Ooh, about that yikes. one. But like, um, my point just being like, yeah, when people talk about like you know protecting your community or taking care of your community. Nobody I have seen has been reporting on how quickly the response has been for cleanup and like uh, and like there were people who apparently like some of Rachel's friends because she went to to college in 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 Minnesota in St Paul. She was saying like or they were saying like yeah I literally like was was responding to outreach groups and stuff like that and by the time I got there after work to help clean up everything had already been taken care of. Like, literally within the day, people have already cleaned up those areas and stuff because they care about their community. And that is not... It feels like it's being very much underrepresented, especially by... Um, I don't know. Media is such a divided thing because on the one hand... I don't know. The fucking CNN reporter who got arrested and shit, and then he got released shortly after, but it's just, like, literally on camera getting arrested. What the fuck, man? Ugh. Anyways, yeah, it's fucked up shit. So those are those are those are Frank's thoughts. Um, take care of each other and <laughs> also try and stay inside. But if there's a protest going on and you feel driven, like just make sure you're wearing a mask and keeping relatively as close to six feet apart from people as you can. Um, yeah, and just and... you know, it's fine to destroy some property. I guess that should be, feel free. <laughs> Uh, but like, don't hurt anybody. Like, come on. Yeah, definitely that. First of all, like, property damage is one thing, and I'm not necessarily going to condone that either. I don't think looting is the right response. But again, like, I don't feel like I'm in a place to judge that at all, um, yeah. because I have only pretty much ever known financial, relative financial security. Like, I can't, I cannot speak for those who who have actually, you know. And so I'm Struggled. going to choose not to. Um, yeah. But the other the other aspect of that is just like, yeah, I mean, if that happens, just don't fucking hurt people. If you want to throw rocks at the police, that's one thing. They're also quite literally armored for it. Um, also, by the way, I just wanted to note that note this as well. Uh, the majority of the people, uh, it, it's, it really does sound like most of it was retaliatory, that it started with the police like tear gassing people and shit and then people starting to throw water bottles in response to that. I would not be surprised to find out that that's significantly more the case because that is definitely the the i know people who were in the protests and i know like they're they're just they were not the kind of person who's going to just go after the fucking police because nobody's an idiot like that 
That's fucking scary. So, anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks okay. for asking, Carter. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad to hear your, your response to it, because I think we have the same kind of sentiment where it's like, look, there needs to be, justice needs to be served, and that's just yeah. what it is. It's a call for justice. And it may, you know, look ugly, and it may be ugly, and it may be like, yeah, I wish they wouldn't do that. I wish they'd go about it in a better way. But it's like, they got, they're going about it in a way, and they deserve to get justice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also for anybody who's wondering how close to this I, I, I actually am, um, I, A, I understand, uh, uh, totally get that. Um, B, just for reference point, um, one of the places that got looted was a, uh, a grocery store that was very much near, like literally that I would go to regularly. <laughs> um, this is pretty close to home. And I was actually in the Twin Cities yesterday. Uh, Rachel and I needed to pick up my car cause I got a job and then, uh, um, and I need to be able to commute, um, which is a whole other basket of worms. But, um, so we actually flew to the, uh, to, to had a layover in Chicago and then actually flew to, uh, the twin cities yesterday stayed with my folks. And then the next morning at like 4am got up to drive back here to Michigan. So it's been, how long is that drive? Insane. Uh, oh God, dude, it's like 10 hours. <laughs> it's actually, I think it's, it's 10 hours plus a time zone change. It's about what? 700 and something miles. What the fuck? How far is Minnesota, Minnesota and Michigan away from each other? I thought they were. Neighbors. Yeah, you'd think that they'd be right next door, right? Well, so it's, it's, it's Minnesota and then right next to Minnesota sharing like well, borders. You got Wisconsin. Then um... you have to go s- south of wisconsin into illinois so you start to travel like you're going into chicago and literally we like drove through chicago under underneath chicago basically um you know because you have to uh, go around the lakes yep you got to go around the lakes uh south around the lakes and then into indiana for a few hours like maybe two hours i think and then back up and into michigan so yeah yeah, like if if you're to fly across for context the flight between um msp and the twin uh, from minneapolis st paul to to the detroit airport is like i think about an hour and 40 minutes um the drive is like (laughs) not that and when you're going across the time zone and also there was a torrential downpour in wisconsin to the point where i at on a 70 i was dropping down to about 45 and still couldn't see the headlights of somebody three car lengths in front of me it's like all right we gotta just pull off here um we had to wait uh so yeah ended up taking a little bit longer but it was a crazy trip we stopped yeah, in Kalamazoo I, at uh, ooh, Bell's. Kalamazoo. I don't know if you've ever had Bell's Two Hearted. It's a beer. No. Bell's Oberon. Um, no. Never do? heard of Bell's. Okay. Well, it's pretty good. It's very good uh, uh, beer. They do a lot of like sours and stuff. And so we we stopped there and grabbed some some nice take take home stuff for them. Support a, a brewery we're a big fan of. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I I drove so. down here, which is about. Like gosh, it's I, it's nowhere near it as long as you're. I think it's like what four, like maybe four hundred sixty, four hundred fifty miles. It's eight hour trip. Mm-hmm. Okay, how long is it? Eight hour? Yeah. Okay, yeah, eight hours would get you about to the other edge of Wisconsin from from where I. It, it's so, about the full state of Wisconsin. So, are you sure it only takes you like ten hours to go like seven hundred miles? <laughs> well, I'm traveling seventy miles an hour. I guess that's true. If you're interstate all the way. 
Yeah, it's uh, pretty much. I mean, it was so it's a, technically a 10 hour drive, but because you add an hour time zone change, you get there an hour later than yeah. 10 hours. So it's like a quote unquote 11 hour drive. But also you have to stop. You've got to refill. You got to use the bathroom. Um, so it was probably closer to uh, 12 hours. I think we left at about 5 a.m. And we got to the Detroit airport at 530. So we made really good time. Okay. Because we would have gotten there at 4.30 if that was 11 and a half hours. But we had to drop off the... We, had, we just did overnight parking, which is the first and only time I've ever done that because it's like $16 a day. But like after two days, it was actually just cheaper than getting a lift to the airport at 4 a.m. and also risking exposure, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just... So, yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't know about you, but I... I pride myself on being able to go eight hours with uh, with only stopping once for gas and never going to the wow. bathroom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What? Never going to the bathroom? Never. Dude, you must do some mad kegels. I don't know yeah, how yeah, you get a, away with that. Especially, like, as a dude, when it's so easy to just turn your hazards on and pull over, like, in the middle of nowhere and just relieve yourself and then just start going again? Why would you put yourself through that? Because I just... You're going to get, get, like, a urinary infection. <laughs> You're going to track infection. You see, Frank, the key is to you got to moderate your water consumption. I guess. I do drink a lot of water. You I see, like I, to I remain hydrated. I tend to uh, really take back my water consumption on days I'm traveling, and then when I get to where I'm going, then I just fill up. Because you're, it's not going to hurt you too bad if you're just a little bit dehydrated for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I no, that, it's not. It's yeah, not. and I mean, that may sound a little unhealthy, but it's like, I'm sitting in a car. <laughs> like, I'm not doing, mm-hmm. like, exercise dehydrated. It's like, there's no chance that I'm going to block That's out. true. It's very true. So, and then, you know, when I get home, I just drink a bunch of water and eat well. So that's how you do it. You moderate your water consumption because you make less, make less urine. This definitely tells me a lot about the difference in our approach to um, uh, uh, skipping, tra- like, fast travel and video games and stuff do you fast travel a lot uh it depends on the game okay and it depends on what like for example when i was platinuming um horizon zero dawn Dawn, i was you're just trying to get through the rest of the content yeah exactly i was just trying to what about like red dead Hmm? did you ever play red dead redemption oh i don't i don't fast travel are you kidding me the game is about you're like you you do everything uh, how okay. cowboy did so you like make a campsite you make your fucking coffee in the morning and mm-hmm. yeah no I enjoy that I I was just gonna say as far as like D and D is concerned I definitely don't do a lot of quote unquote fast travel or, or like trip skipping and it's I I don't know it's just I find it curious uh, Carter because I definitely enjoy the process of like stopping in this place or taking an opportunity to go somewhere else because I am so rarely jumping in a car and spending several hours doing it. I like driving. Oh, so. like maybe maybe we have slightly different... Like, I I stop in the middle of fucking nowhere and I'm afraid someone's going to fucking shank me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I fill up and I get out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's definitely, like, you got to be careful about what kind of gas stations you stop at and stuff, too. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I, I just... I, I'm a bit vigilant about those things because i you know i do martial arts i'm trained in martial arts to look out for threats when i'm sure that's out fair in the world and so i'm constantly like looking around tracking people with my eyes mm-hmm. 
Maybe I'm the threatening mm-hmm. one. Maybe I'm just like fucking hulking out. <laughs> You could be. Yeah, my five oh, foot right. seven frame, 110 pounds. Just like I keep on forgetting you're only five seven, man. It's crazy. Literally, well, that's not that short. That's it's, I think it's that's slightly that's, that's, shorter than average. Yeah, I think average is what five eight, five eight, five, eight five, or something. Nine. In America, I mean. Yeah, in, in America, five eight, five nine. But yeah, that's not that short. 